what a blessing it is that God gives us to be involved in so many good things just as we have in worship to Him. And let's make sure that we are involved in worship to Him. Worship is not something we simply attend, it's what we do. And let's make sure that as we sing these beautiful praise that we truly are singing with understanding in our heart that we are praising God. And as we study His Word, it's a way of being submissive to say, God, we want You to speak to us. We want to do Your will. What a blessing. We have here at the Mount Julia congregation to do that often. Satan is tricky. He's calculating. He loves to deceive. Now many of us would probably like to believe about ourselves that we're not easily deceived. But would you be humble enough tonight to admit that you probably are a little more easily to deceive than what maybe we would like? Not that this would go in the area of sin by any means, but just to illustrate it. If you're in a race and you overtake second place, what place are you in? Many of you just said first in your mind, but it's second place if you overtake second place. So let's try again. If, if you're in a race and you overtake last place, what place are you in? Many of you said last place. You can't overtake last place. You're either in last place or you're before last place. For those of you that are mathematicians that, that really like these kind of things, I can give you one that, that probably only about 3% of you will get. If you want to add these numbers, they're real simple to add in your mind. You can add these numbers up, and uh, it, this, is, this is not a trick per se. It's just that the majority of minds that even think they're mathematical minded, they still can't get it right. Just start out with the number 1,000. Add 40. Now add another 1,000, add 30. Now add another 1,000, and now add 20. Now add another 1,000, and now add 10. Most of you that are doing this said that the answer is 5,000. It's not, it's 4,100. And it's kind of mind-boggling because... It just seems so simple that it's 5,000, but it's a trick kind of that your mind plays to carry that decimal over and round up to the 5,000 when it's actually 4,100. Very few people get that right. I can hand you a piece of paper right now that it very clearly, and ask you to clearly read every word on it. And the way it's written, it would simply be in three lines, and it would say, you would say, it says, I love Paris in the spring. I could ask you to read it again, and you'd say, I love Paris in the spring. Read it more carefully. I love Paris in the spring. And then if I pointed to every word, it would read, I love Paris in the, the spring. You know there's all kind of mind games like that. There's all kind of things that, that then, once it's shown to you, you even stop and say, why, why didn't I notice that? Why didn't I calculate that right a while ago? How could I be off by almost a, a, by, by 900? How, how can I be that wrong? Friends, those things aren't a big deal. It's not a big deal if you think that overcoming last place puts you in last place. You can get to heaven on that stuff. But the problem is, Satan is as crafty as what we've just said. In other words, if you try to overcome Satan on your own, you can't do it. You cannot win against Satan alone. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we referenced this this morning as we talked about temptation. Tonight, we're going to talk about the tempter. And I'd like for you to notice how Paul explains him to us in Ephesians the 5th chapter and verse 11. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that's an interesting word, wiles there. In other words, we need to stand, but the problem is we have an enemy. We need to stand, but the problem is the enemy is going to use a craftiness. He is going to have, in the word here, wiles that he pulls against us. What in the world does that word mean? It's a word that means to be methodical and to calculate. Just as we observed this morning in the text that we studied out of this morning in Matthew the fourth chapter, it was obvious that Satan was very methodical when he worked against Jesus. It was obvious that he was very calculating when he worked against Jesus. And what I want you to see tonight, and just as, as Jeff even prayed on our behalf in the prayer, Satan can even, just as he did against Jesus this morning, use Scripture in a way that he would use it against us. Listen, Satan does not casually approach any of us. He does not haphazardly approach any of us. He stalks us like lions stalk their prey. What do we know about lions? We know that they do not go on long chases. They may stalk their prey, and you, you picture a cat. I don't know if you would own one or why. I mean, I don't know if you... But you, you picture a, a cat, and, and you picture it stalking, and how it, it crouches down, and it slowly moves toward its prey. Now, if its prey continues to walk on, it slowly stalks. It's not going to go on a, on a mild chase. That's just not the way a lion works. But I tell you what the lion will do every time. They will calculate and stalk and calculate and stalk. And whenever their calculations say that they are close enough to make a, a quick, decisive pounce, they immediately go for the juggler, the death kill. Lord, can you help us understand Satan? Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter 5 and let's see if he can help us understand Satan. 1,078 in the Bible that's in your pew. 1 Peter 5 and 8, this is how Peter, writing by inspiration, would help us to understand Satan. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The original language here for devour means literally to gulp down. He is searching for whom he can destroy. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it like the king of the jungle. He's not some little little mighty mouse. He's not some little cute rabbit. He is the lion, and he is going to shop. He's going to calculate. He's going to be very methodical. Just as we saw with Jesus this morning, he's going to work sometime off of our flesh. He's going to work sometime even off of our spirituality. He's going to work sometime off of the very uh, uh, occasions and occupations in our life. He sometimes is going to come to us pulling after our pride, Sometimes even the lust and the desires of our eyes, there's all kinds of ways that he has in his toolbox to try to reach us. 
We're going to come back here very quickly. So if you want to hold your finger here, but as we introduce Satan himself, I'd like for us to go to Revelation, the 12th chapter, because this is one verse that we can read where God gives us several descriptions of Satan in one verse. And so to get the idea of of who God wants us to understand that Satan is, we read in Revelation, the 12th chapter, and let's look at verse 9 in the Bible in the pew. It's 1,096. And notice all of these descriptions of Satan. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Now here's a description of what he does. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Lord, can you help us understand who our enemy is? And he would say, a great dragon. Now when God calls something great, it's great. We might have perceptions of something being great that really in the big scheme of things is not so great. God understands what is great and what is small. God says, I want you to picture a dragon, not some kind of little innocent creature. I want you to picture something that, in other words, he is more powerful than you. He is not deity. He's not on the level of God, but he is more powerful than you and I. He is a great dragon. The next description that he gives of him takes us all the way back to Genesis 3. He could have just said he's that serpent and our minds would have gone back to Genesis 3, maybe with a little bit of doubt. I wonder if that's what he's talking about. He states it very clear, the serpent of old. In other words, you're reading at the end of the New Testament. Go back to the beginning of the Old Testament. That's the one I'm talking about. Oh, so just because he's such a great dragon doesn't mean he's going to come in and strong arm everyone. That's right. He's strong and he's powerful, but oftentimes he would rather slither his way into a circumstance in a very subtle way. You see, oftentimes he prefers to trick us and deceive us and allow us to not even realize that he is involved in the scheme. Isn't that amazing? This great dragon oftentimes would rather work in stealth. He's like that old serpent where Eve just didn't realize the danger of the conversation she was having. He sure didn't seem like a great deadly dragon to her at that time. And that hasn't changed. If you're looking for the horns and the red creature and, and, and the tail and the one that would present himself to you as a danger, as a threat, you're looking for the wrong individual. You see, we all understand the idea of a bait or to lure. It's the idea that behind this attractive bait is a hook. That's what he capitalizes on. Well, who else is he? In this same verse here, he's called the devil. The devil means one who is slanderous, one who mocks. You better believe that if, if the Lord is going to hear from Satan what Satan wants to say about you is he wants to talk negative about you. He wants to slander you. And if you listen to Satan about God, he wants to slander God. If you listen to Satan, what he's going to say about your church family, 
Satan's going to help you see everything that is negative and even things that aren't negative, he'll make you think they are about your church family. Listen, his very name means slanderous one. That is who he is. But also, his name is Satan. This is a root out of the Aramaic. It literally takes us back to that description of a lion. It means one who lies in wait as if to prepare for an ambush. Do you remember? We just mentioned Genesis, the third chapter. You remember the fourth chapter? Remember Cain sinned? He did not bring into worship, into the sacrifice. He did not bring a sacrifice that God asked him to bring. His brother did bring a sacrifice that that God asked him to bring. And God accepted Abel and his sacrifice. He rejected Cain and his sacrifice. And you remember, he gave him the opportunity. And he says, if you do well, don't you know that I'll be pleased with you? But then he, he implies, if you do not do well, he says, sin. You see, this is Satan personified through the name sin. Sin lies wait at the door. That's the name Satan. Lies in ambush. That was the description that Peter gave here in 1 Peter 5. I want you, in other words, he says, I want you to know that you have an adversary. Now, notice it's personal. He said, your adversary. Sure, everybody else has an adversary, but Peter wants to make sure you understand he's after you. You have an adversary. He is after you. Well, what's he like? He is the devil, he identified, and and who's that? He's going to lie to you. He's slanderous, but also he's like a lion. Now we're back to the name Satan. He's going to lie in ambush. He is just waiting to take over you. Now all of this is really under a broader theme of we want to be immersed in service. Do you want to have a lifetime of service to God? You know, those of you that are younger, I want to say something that you're not going to be able to really, really appreciate for a few more decades. But when you look across this auditorium and you see men and women that have served God for decades, it is nothing to take for granted. What a huge compliment it is. It's men and women that have learned to avoid temptation and to conquer it and to recognize Satan and resist him. And if we are going to have a life of service, what if right now everybody within a drive of this building that at one time served God came here tonight, how many thousands upon thousands would be here? Listen, it's not that hard to begin serving God. What's hard is to be serving God faithfully decades from now. We can do it, but not on our own. And that's why we have passages like 1 Peter 5 where he says, you're going to have to know the tempter. You need to know your adversary so that he will not blindside you, so that he will not take you off the path of righteousness and separate you from your relationship with God. So now let's look at two verses before and one verse after. Now that we've got the groundwork laid, let's just lay out some bullet points here to think about how can we be prepared for this mighty tempter. Number one, we see in verse six, therefore... Humble yourselves under 
the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, if you'll look back up to verse 5, it also was a passage about humility. And notice in 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And notice this, this phrase, and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And now it's with that kind of introduction we have verse 6 where we're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Number one, we see that if we are going to be able to fight the tempter, we have to be humble. That's to recognize ourselves in submission to. Humble under. Now note this humility is something that we're clothed with. It's something you can take off and you can avoid or it's something you can choose to put on. Christians choose to put on humility. And our humility brings us where? Under, and, and I always envision it this way, I envision that, that lion that's out there trying to destroy us. And then like when you were pray, playing freeze tag when you were a little kid and there was a base where you're safe. The Lord has a mighty hand. You can come out here you can't live against Satan. Is that clear enough or we need to say it one more time? Out from and under the mighty hand of God, you cannot live against Satan. There's no hope. There's nobody here that powerful. As I've already said, he's not deity, but he's more powerful than you. We cannot survive. The only hope we have is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of of God. If we could be safe somewhere else, we wouldn't need Jesus as our Savior. God as our Father and as our hope. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, tonight, I need to be real honest with myself. Am I under His hand? Or have I left that mighty hand and am I playing with temptation and playing with sin? You know, one of the common phrases that people that have struggled with sin for quite some time have said to me, one of the common things they say is, I just never thought that I'd ever get caught. I just really never thought it would really matter to anybody. I just thought it was something that I could just keep between me and whatever I was doing. Listen. Destruction will be known. Your sins will find you out. And so the question is, will I live under the mighty hand of God, clothed in humility, in submission, or will I move towards destruction? Now there's a second thing, a second thing that probably none of us, if we were trying to predict what God would say that we need to do in order to stay under His mighty hand and avoid the enemy. Probably none of us would expect this, but isn't it wonderful that He challenges and expects this of us? Look at verse 7. Casting all of your care upon Him, for He cares for you. You see, not only am I going to have to be humble under His mighty hand, but I'm going to have to be carefree under His mighty hand. Now, what do we mean by carefree? We've got to be able to be, be free from anxiety. We cannot carry all of, this, all of the cares of the world. We can't carry all of our cares as if we have no God and still fight Satan. 
your anxiety will destroy your ability to remain under the mighty hand and to fight off Satan. Now let's make this real clear. I believe if we can make a list of sins that the church has accepted as very much okay, acceptable, sometime almost righteous, if we were going to make a list of those sins, I think we would have to place anxiety as one of the highest ones. You will hear people just commonly say, oh, I am worried to death. I've been worried for months about this. We need to stop sinning. I tell you what, I'm, I'm one of the most anxious people I've ever been around. Why don't you become a Christian? You are going to die out there with that lion. You need to live your life under the mighty hand of God. And the only way to come under His mighty hand is to hand the reins over to Him and say, Lord, the things that I can help with, I'll help with. The things that I can't, I turn them over to You. And I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. Look over, if you will, Philippians, the fourth chapter. Have we done this in our life? Have we found a state of maturity where we truly can, can obey Philippians, the fourth chapter, and verse 6? Be anxious for nothing. Well, what kind of exceptions can we put in that? None. Be anxious for nothing. Now, let's back up and notice verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Does that mean all throughout your life, all you ever experience are happy events? No. It means that we never lose sight, though, of all the wonderful things God has done, even if we're at a time in our life where there's been a lot of disappointment. There's always opportunities for children of God to find the areas to, in which to rejoice. Notice the second thing in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. If you're under his mighty hand, the Lord is at hand. If you're not under his mighty hand, you can't hand cares off to him because you're not there. You remember the, the easy definition of, of gentleness or meekness where you take the reins in your life and you say, Lord, every time I rule my life, I mess it up. I'm going to hand off the reins to you. Lord, you take control of my life. I'm going to live under your mighty hand. Oh, no, Lord, give me the reins back. I do a better job worrying about this than you do. Lord, I don't trust you. I'm afraid if I leave it up to you, you're not going to worry about it the way I worry about it. Let, let me have the worries. I'll just go stand over here with the lion, and I will worry. I can't give you the reins. Right now, I'm so worried, I can't think of anything to rejoice about. I can't even think of the fact that Jesus has died for me, and I've got the hope of heaven. I can't even think about the blessing of a church family that I have. I can't even think about the blessing of serving other people right now because my anxiety has turned me so inward. All I can think about is that I've got to worry. So that brings us to the very next verse in verse 6 of Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. So what do we do? In everything by prayer, that's humility, depending upon God, and supplication, that's asking in prayer. With thanksgiving, that's looking at the things for which to be grateful. Let your request be made known to God. Take, as we just read in 1 Peter 5 and 7, and cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. What is this going to do in verse 7 here of, of Philippians 4? Look at verse 7. And the peace of God. Wait a minute. You mean I can go from being anxious to having peace? Yes. Now, it's something that the world can't explain. Notice this. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Friends, if there's anyone who understands the struggles and the burdens you have, it's God. God's not saying that you don't have heartbreaks. God's not saying that you don't have losses. God is saying, I want to help you with that. But if you can't hand the reins over to me, if you can't cast your cares upon me, I can't help you. But notice, he's not even really in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, putting that under the umbrella of per se, I want to help you. He's putting it under the umbrella of, sure, I want to help you, but I want you to avoid Satan. Do you remember the four types of soul in Luke, the eighth chapter? You remember the third type of soul was where there were things that choked out the Word of God. You remember what those three things that choked out the Word of God? You remember, it was cares, pleasures. But now think about this, cares, In other words, he says, if you want the Word of God to not be alive in your life, carry your own anxiety. Wrestle with your own cares all the time. Or we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand. We can cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. And now we're ready in 1 Peter 5 and 8 to be sober. That's clear-minded, to be vigilant. That's to have our eyes open so that we can be aware that there is an enemy and he wants our soul, and we're not going to let him have it. And so the way we do that is by staying with God. But now let's look at verse 9 and close this lesson. 1 Peter 5 and 9, notice, resist him. That's talking about resist Satan. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. James 4 says, resist him, and he will flee from you. This morning we read in Matthew, the fourth chapter, that when Jesus resisted him, that he left him. It's true. It's biblical. That we can get a rest from Satan if we stand strong. If we resist him, he will flee from us. But how do you resist him? Humbled? Casting your cares upon him? Remaining under his mighty hand? That's submission? then also is having our eyes open and our mind clear to fight him so that we can see him and resist him. Notice this phrase, steadfast in the faith. Steady. That's what we all ought to long to be. We're not in this for a sprint. We're in this for a lifetime. You know, I've shared with you before that every time I think in depth about this word, I think about sitting in the tractor seat with my dad. And I remember being about eight years old on that Super C International tricycle tire tractor and him saying, I want to teach you how to lay rows off in the garden. Now, if you've never done that, you may think that's easy to lay a straight row. It's not. Your first few rows look more like a dog's hind leg. And and the whole thing is you keep your eyes out in front. And Dad would say, pick a point out there and drive straight to it. And of course, I'm eight years old and I'm sitting sideways to get the clutch going. And then I'm sitting up there and 
and an old Super C where the play is halfway around. And so you're bumping it all the way down through there. And as I would do, inexperienced and maybe even otherwise, then I would start glancing down at the row. And I'd start fighting it. And then I would fight it this way. I always remember my dad reaching up as the, as the steering wheel is just going all around him stopping it. And him whispering in my ear, steady, son, steady. And I take off again, steady. Satan wants to distract us. He wants us to take our eyes off the Lord. He wants us to believe that we can live out here alone. And God is he's whispering in our ear as He's trying to steady our lives. And He's saying, steady, son. Steady, daughter. In other words, I love you. I don't want you to die. And there's an enemy out there. And he's real. We're not just studying a lesson. We're talking about whether or not we live or die for an eternity. Tonight, are you steady? Are you with God? Are you going to stay with God? If there's anything we can do to help your life be on right terms with God, we'd love to help you. All of us here, we're just wanting to be steady. And all of us here realize that we need each other and we need God. And if we can assist you in becoming a Christian, being baptized into Christ, or if we can assist you in coming back and praying forgiveness, or if you really don't know what you need, but you want help, Listen, we want to help you any way that we can. Please come as we stand and as we sing.